This episode of That Time of the Month is brought to you by Essential Goodness, a local indie bath and body company in Nashville, Tennessee. Visit their store on Etsy, My Essential Goodness, and get 20% off by using the code TTOTM. All of their products are 100% made with natural ingredients and fragrance only with essential oils. Feeling blue, what do you do? We got stories to see you through that time of the month, that time of the month. Well, there may be more people still filing in and we'll scowl at them as they do, um, but we're going to get the show on the road. Uh, how about this weather, by the way? You need, you need to have me host more often. Every time I host, the weather is perfect outside. And every time, every time she hosts, it rains. So, But it's actually really bright in here today. It like, hurts my eyes. Um, well, thanks for coming out tonight to Badly Behaved Women. Uh, to all the women out there, happy Women's History Month. Congratulations. This is... I always, I always wanted to know, like, we have Black History Month, which is February, then Women's History Month, like, where is White Male History Month? And then I asked, I asked a teacher that one time, and she was like, that's every other month, you asshole. And so, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I want to thank Melanie for having me host tonight. This is, uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I know a lot of badly behaved women. Uh, really starts with my mom. Um, Although I, I never have like any direct evidence that she's badly behaved, it's it's more of from the advice that she's given me. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was noticing a lot of my friends were getting married, and I was saying I was going to have to start dating younger because all the girls my age were were uh, getting married. And she said, "Or you could just wait till some of them are divorced." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> And then I got written up one time for drinking alcohol at Belmont. Belmont's a dry campus, if you don't know it. And so I had to call her, and I was like, oh, I got written up. And she's like, what the hell else are you supposed to do on the weekend? Like, you're supposed to get drunk. Like, what's wrong with them? <laughs> she's pretty cool. But my... I, if you guys don't know, I worked at Victoria's Secret for a year. So I was around a lot of just badly behaved women. Uh, and a lot of... They have real names, but I came to know them by nicknames after a while. I had, there was uh, there was Madame Tanthong, and that was because not because she was wearing a tan thong, but because one time at a party she was like, "Hey, come see my thong," and I was like, "Okay." She hiked up her dress, and like she didn't have a thong on; it was just like a tan line from where a thong had been earlier. And I was like, "Okay, thanks." <laughs> um, there was, let's see, there was soap dish because she was too short to have sex in the shower, so she would stand in the soap dish. Uh, there was Cottontail, uh, who liked bleaching her butthole, and, or she said whitening her Cottontail. That was what she called it. So she became known as Cottontail. Uh, and then, but my favorite is one that I just named. She, for a long time, was the, the Ginger Guido because she's redheaded and she loves the Jersey Shore. But I never really liked that name until finally on Halloween this year, we had a party at my house. My roommate just built the house and we were having a party to welcome everyone to it. And she was there and a friend of mine came up from New Orleans and 
it was a Halloween party, and so I was dressed as Noah from The Notebook, which was basically looked like a hipster from East Nashville. No one really knew what I was. Um, we had a rabbi there. We had uh, we had some flappers. We had a bunch, and then my friend from New Orleans just. I don't know why he just wore a red dress. He just decided to wear a red dress. So he didn't have like a wig or, or makeup or heels or anything. I was just like this dude in a red dress. And he, you know, he owned it. It was great. Uh, but about, about two hours into the party, um, he disappeared as well as this girl. And I didn't notice it until later. He came back and apparently... Okay, so... Her nickname became Storage Shed. We have we have a we have a storage shed at my house that we store all the paint and the bicycles in. And apparently, they went out to have a cigarette. And I should say that she was wearing a dress as well. And so they went out to have a cigarette. They it started raining, so they went to the storage shed. And apparently, they just started making out. And making out turned into sex. And as she put it, she said, I hoisted my dress, he hoisted his, and it was on. (laughs) And so she's known as Storage Shed now. And uh, uh, like a month later, I saw on Facebook that she had a boyfriend. And I was like, she had been single for like two years. And I was like, like, what's the change of heart? And she's like, you know, like, when you have sex with a strange man in a dress in a storage shed, it's time to not be single anymore. So that is, uh, that's my favorite badly behaved woman's story. Um, but with that, let's bring up our first performer, Miss Becky Wallstrom. Said that right, right? Uh, Becky is a, a uh, she's, been, she's been in Chicago, L.A., she made appearances on Joan of Arcadia, Mad Men, CSI, um, and she is now facilitating a stand-up and storytelling class with Nashville Improv, and you can find out more about it at nashvilleimprov.com. Let's give it up for Becky Wallstrom. Thank you very much. Uh, I call this piece Niagara, Niagara. I hate being alone. I've had therapists in the past say to me, Becky, maybe this is a problem. If you hate being alone so much, perhaps you need to take the time to get to know yourself, to really love yourself. Look, if I didn't know myself, I wouldn't half mind being alone. I'd ask me questions. I'd learn more about me. I'd be full of surprises. But I've been hanging out with me for forever. And I do love myself. I'm just, I'm social. I'm, I'm from a large family. I I just need to be around people all the time. (laughs) I recently went through a breakup, and in order not to stalk the guy, I took myself out of town. (laughs) I'd always wanted to see Niagara Falls, so I went. It was foggy and freezing, and as I stood in front of it, I couldn't help wonder, how long am I supposed to stand here? I mean, if I was with my boyfriend, we could make out in front of it. We could, you know, like pretend he was going to throw me over and I'd squeal, no, and we'd laugh and we'd take funny pictures of us lining our mouths up with the falls and acting like we were barfing up tons of water. (laughs) Then we could go warm up with lattes at Starbucks and talk about how those Amish people all had cell phones. Oh, and that we needed to get a refrigerator magnet to add to our collection. But no. 
No, instead, I did what every lonely loser does standing alone in front of Niagara Falls. I took a selfie, and then I posted it on Facebook. <laughs> I've dated a lot of people. Most of these people I probably had no business dating. I mean, we, we would be wrong for each other, but it was that or go back to a lone zone. So I'd insist on shoving that round peg into that square hole or whatever the saying is. There was the photographer who slept with not one, but several of my friends behind my back. The fireman who I met at an all-black sex party. That's a story for a different time. But after six months of dating him, he tells me, I just can't trust a girl who I met at a sex party. I met you at a sex party. Yes, that's different, he says. The surfer, smoking hot, beautiful body. He lived in his van. He was obsessed with hot wings and beer pong. He didn't even know that George Bush was a Republican. Girl, you know I don't do politics. Did I mention he was smoking hot? Smoking hot. Then there was the sensitive writer, very sweet but a neurotic germaphobe, who asked me if I could please not drink out of anyone else's water bottles, cups, or take drags off of anyone's cigarettes because it just makes me feel like I'm kissing the world. Then he found out that I had gone to a sex party. That was five years ago, I screamed as he ran for the door and was gone forever. The massage therapist. Now, I thought that this one was going to last because he was funny and outdoorsy and he, he was good with his hands, obviously. And one night we were sitting on his couch and we were watching a movie and he said something like, you have the most beautiful blue eyes. And I turned... And I saw him gazing into his 100-pound Siberian Husky's face sitting next to him. Now, I'm a dog person, but this guy would massage the Husky, spoon the Husky, feed the Husky mouth to mouth and call her his little baby bird. <laughs> then one day, kind of out of the blue, he told me we needed to break up. He just wanted to be alone for a while with his Husky. And finally, there was the corporate conservative guy. He used the word pussy and faggot a lot. At first, I thought it was funny, you know? But after several times of him saying it, it started to kind of bother me. Um, you don't really mean that, do you? <laughs> what is, what's the big deal? He asked, are you offended? And he sounded so annoyed. Well, I have a pussy and friends who are gay, and you're, you're equating both of those with being, well, weak. Ugh, I'm so tired of all this I am woman, hear me roar bullshit. Well, a woman squeezed you into this world. I hardly see that as a weak endeavor. How about if I ass fuck you tonight with a pumpkin? He declined. Asshole. After each of these endeavors, my mom would say the same thing. Well, honey, you dodged a bullet with that one. There is a lot of bullets flying around, people. I mean, apparently it's freaking war out there. And then I started thinking, am I also a bullet? When, when, we, when we broke up, did the friends and the mothers and the sisters and the therapists of these men tell them that they dodged a bullet? Myself and I opened a bottle of red wine and pondered the idea. We discussed it. We obsessed over it. And then myself and I started making phone calls. 
to the photographer. So you fucked several of my friends, but when, when we broke up, did you feel like you dodged a bullet? Becky, we were 19. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I don't remember. Oh, how convenient. The surfer, Trey. When we broke up, did you feel like you dodged a bullet? You told me you wanted kids, girl, and you know I don't do kids. So the kid was the bullet. I wasn't the bullet. The kid was the bullet. The writer. Uh, I know this is an odd question, but do you think that when we broke up, you dodged a bullet because I'm, like, sticky and germy and gross and stuff? Becky, are you writing another one of those pieces again? Am I in one of those pieces? Because I would rather not... Just tell me if you think you dodged a bullet! I don't know, no, no, I'm, I'm just better at being alone. I, I like being alone, I guess. You like being alone? Wait, 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 wait. You, you like being alone. Well, when you go to Niagara Falls alone, tell me, how long do you stand there? Beep! Hang on, I got another call. There's my girlfriend, Ramsey. What are you up to? She asked nonchalantly. I am calling all of my ex-boyfriends to find out if they dodged a bullet. As soon as I say this, I realize how crazy I sound. <laughs> how crazy I am being. I needed to stop this behavior. I knew, even though through this spitfire roaring red wine haze, that I was not going to be proud of this in the morning. I put away the phone. I put away the whys and the what did I do wrongs. And I put away the past for at now, at least. And I went into my winter coat and I pulled out this thing I'd forgotten about. Niagara Falls, 2013. It was a sparkly little magnet. When you turned it on its side, the water moved back and forth. I stuck it on my fridge next to the Thailand magnet. Oh, Thailand. The trip I took with alcoholic guy who crashed our moped into the jungles of Koh Lanta, got 12 stitches, and we had to pay $600 for a broken moped. <laughs> yeah. Maybe being alone isn't always the worst thing. I made myself a cup of sobering tea, and then I took myself to bed. Becky Wallstrom, one more time. Did you honestly call all of them? Oh, wait, who was that? Oh, you can vouch for all of this? Were you right there in the room when she was doing it, kind of cheering her on? No, no, no. No? Did you, like, write a script for it? It's very, like, I I've seen it done in sitcoms. Like, in, in Seinfeld, Jerry calls all of his girlfriends to ask if they had orgasms with him. And then, and then in The Office, Michael calls all of his girlfriends to tell them he has herpes. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's all I could think of as I was listening to that. That was, uh... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Did you like Niagara Falls? It was foggy and freezing, and I don't think I saw, I mean, I saw like a piece of it, because it was just white. That's crazy. What, you went in the winter? See, my parents did two in there in college. This is like one of their favorite like party stories to tell. But they, they said that the, that it freezes in the winter. Like you can walk out onto the river, and they did, and they didn't realize like how close they were to the edge of the falls because they were drunk, and they realized at the last second like one of them like kicked something, and it was the top of the like guardrail. Like the ice had been like so thick. Probably because of them, yeah. They did a lot of stupid shit. They're, I don't I don't know how I'm here. Um, anyways, that was a great story. Great acting. She's an actress. Did you, did you get that? That was, that was some good... I believed it. I believed it. Anyways, 
our next reader is a Miss Charlotte Munoz. Is that how we pronounce the last name? Why am I always going to the wrong side? Munoz. Munoz. Are you Hispanic? You don't look Hispanic. A little bit. Un poquito. Yeah? Well. Uh, she is a PhD student at Vandy in mathematics education, and she's originally from Austin. So let's welcome her to the stage. Miss Charlotte Munoz. instead of studying for a ninth grade world geography test. I failed it. And despite my high homework average and the extra credit that I did, it wasn't enough to uh, pad the blow and I ended up with a B on my report card. <sighs> that felt really good. <laughs> I think I just saw someone choke on a tortilla chip in the back. Uh, you're going to want to take a deep breath. This is going to get ugly. <laughs> when tonight's theme of badly behaved women was announced, my inner self looked over at the closet of my misdeeds and regret that I keep locked inside and began to fiddle with the keys. It's been a long 27 years of hiding all this depravity, and it's time for a proper release. So tonight, I'm going to invite you all to hear my confession, pronounce your judgment as you must, and provide absolution if you can. But before I get started, I just want to relish for just a second more in being blameless in all of your eyes. <laughs> all right, let's begin. I've decided that for the sake of organization to, well, organize my sins into categories, they seem to cluster into four major groups. Social no-nos, sins from my secret thought life, embarrassments with strangers, and miscellaneous misdeeds. Let's begin with social no-nos. This category of deeds includes breaking all those Emily Post-type rules of social conduct that I was taught when I was 9 or 10. For instance, eavesdropping. I confess that I have eavesdropped. I, I confess that I very often eavesdrop. <laughs> I confess that I am nearly always eavesdropping, as, as well as the room permits, and to the degree that the drama of the nearby conversation intrigues me. As a result of this bad habit, however, I've come to expect the same from other people. Thus, I'm always conscious of the ju juiciness of any given conversation I'm having in a booth, at a restaurant, and I always hope to send my booth neighbors home with a really great story, <laughs> even if it isn't true. The same goes at the tennis courts. After a serve, my partner, and partner in sin, I'll admit, might shout to me with a twinkle in her eye, do you think the police will ever catch your father? <laughs> and I'll return, I'm not sure, but I just can't believe he stole all that money, not when he has that inheritance taking care of him. We never look directly at the yuppie 40-somethings playing on the court next to us, but we know that their perfectly groomed eyebrows are just doing blips. <laughs> on a related note, my next social no-no is people watching. I confess that I take more pleasure in people watching than a mentally stable adult should. We're talking about outright staring at people with no apology, especially when I find a place to watch from slightly above where there's no risk of sudden eye contact from my specimens. 
This is why I love multi-story malls, buildings with atriums. Most of the time it's pretty boring, regular stuff you'll see, but occasionally you strike gold and get to watch a couple break up, two stories above, while eavesdropping on a middle-aged couple near you who are gossiping about the less-than-pristine private lives of the people who go to their church. I confess that I enjoy these situations way too much. Next we come to Sins from My Secret Thought Life, which is admittedly a rather broad category. I confess that I regularly invent wild and elaborate backstories for the people I see waiting at the gate, uh, the same gate as me at the airport. Uh, for instance, as I write this in the Chicago Midway Airport, I've already invented an out-of-control foot fetish for this student-looking young man to my right, who I'm sure is using his Galaxy smartphone to purchase Payless inventory catalogs, <laughs> regularly used only by distributors. He knows a guy. <laughs> I almost feel sorry for him, the poor guy. Winter means a lot of boots around the airport in Chicago, and I know he's impatient for spring for very different reasons than the rest of us. Peep toe es espadrilles. <laughs> See what I mean? It's, it's scary up here. Um, I also confess that I frequently visually identify what people are doing wrong with technology and let them go right on doing it. For instance, I might recognize that they're misusing their phone or computer or haven't plugged it in or haven't discovered something very simple that would save them a lot of time and I withhold this information. <laughs> I know, I'm a terrible person. It's just that I've learned over my lifetime that it's become very easy to become someone's go-to tech wizard and I'm just tired of it. So I shake my head right along with them. Yeah, I'm not sure what's wrong with it. All the while <laughs> glancing at the plug sitting on the floor. <laughs> the next category, embarrassing mishaps with strangers, is for those times that I make others feel really uncomfortable because of my complete lack of tact or social grace. For instance, the handful of times I've walked in on strangers using the toilet. I'm really, really sorry about those times. I am really sorry about a few in particular, both to said stranger and to my stubborn long-term memory. I confess that I have also made strangers uncomfortable by being overly honest. For instance, oversharing with a stranger I sat next to on the plane ride home from my first long-distance trip by myself. I'd been in Mexico for two and a half months, living in a small and beautiful city I was very sad to be leaving. The plump white businessman sitting next to me on the flight from Mexico City mistakenly asked, so why were you in Mexico? Outpoured what must have been 20 minutes of me half crying my way through the story of my summer, he grew very uncomfortable, tried to break eye contact, but I forged ahead. I kept right on oversharing until he finally pulled out a Sudoku. Finally, we've come to the miscellaneous misdeeds. I confess that I almost never bring my own shampoo, conditioner, or toothpaste on road trips or holiday visits. I'm just going to use yours. <laughs> I confess that I'm prone to putting empty or nearly empty containers back into the refrigerator or into the pantry. I confess that I laugh when people fall or fart or snore in church or when I hear a great that's what she said type accidental sexual innuendo in professional or otherwise innocuous speech. Yeah. Essentially, I confess that I'm mentally a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> Thank you all for hearing my confession. I think I feel better. Not sure about all of you. You laughed a little bit, but I know in reality you must be waiting for the big payoff confession, right? The real deal. What is she hiding? Somewhere there's a skeleton, right? 
I mean, I'm essentially a good girl. The first person in my family with a college degree, now getting my PhD from the one and only Vanderbilt, financially pretty stable, generally pretty poised, or at least well-intended in social situations. I don't drink much, I don't smoke, I even walk my dogs twice a day. <laughs> but the truth is, after 27 years of doing, at least publicly, what everybody else would consider the right thing to do, and in the best way it can be done, I've recently made some changes, starting with the way I hear my own story. Specifically, I've started to make an effort to turn down the volume on other people's narratives of my life and turn up the volume on my own. In order to achieve an effective slow fade on this kind of narrative mixer, I've had to decide that my own experience and the insight I've gained from it counts as much as the opinions of other people and their approval, disapproval, and likely judgment. Not an easy thing when you framed much of your human experience as an attempt at winning the approval of others. This whole listening to my own heart thing has meant some pretty big decisions lately. Chief among them, getting a divorce. So anyway, that's where I'm at. A woman who has very little experience in really behaving badly. Though that world geography test eats at me to this day. <laughs> But now I'm plunging headfirst into divorce, what we good Christian folk know to be a very real, very unforgivable sin. Or maybe not. I'll let you know at my next confession. Nice. Let's give it up for Charlotte. Let's give it up for the green pants as well. Look at those. Very nice. Hey, quick question. Where is Qatar? Where is Qatar, the country? Okay, I'll give you that. See, so you passed that test. That's good. Okay, you're good. Does that make up for it? There's like two countries in Asia. There's Russia and China. That's like... That's like <laughs> Beijing. That's pretty tough. What do they export? What do they export? I, I take notes during my, my, when I listen, and my notes right now say eavesdropping, condoms, and anal suppository. So let me get to what I want. Like, you, you're talking about... It was, it, you were talking about eavesdropping, and like, you are the person that I fear, like, when I'm, anytime I'm in public, like, uh, when, I, when I go out with my girlfriend, like, we'll be talking, and I'm always like, because like, I'm always, she's like, what? And I'm like, she's like, why are you talking like that? It's because like, because I'm an eavesdropper as well, and I just know there are people who are possibly going to be listening to that, and I don't want them to know that I just came from CVS to, to get gum. I just, I like being... I don't know. It's very weird to me, but I know you're out there and you scare the shit out of me. So, um, but at the, at the, as the same token, um, like you were saying, when you play tennis, you yell things out. When we go to the store, like the grocery store, uh, a lot of times we'll be walking together, like in the pharmacy section, I'll be like, no, 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 no. The condoms are over here. They're, they're over here. Or, or the anal suppositories are over here. You were asking for those earlier. Like they're right over here as loud as I possibly can within earshot of other people. 
So, does she know that you hate that? Yeah, you do. Let's give it up for her because she was here last month and heard me read and is still here. So, anyways, enough about me. Um, number three. Ah, oh, yes, okay. Our third reader is a young lady named Kathleen Cosgrove. She uh, is an author. She writes comedy mysteries, but she writes comedy, mystery, comedy and mystery together at the same while. And uh, in, in a minute after her, her, um, her reading, we're going to auction off her first book, which is a, in, uh, the first in a series of uh, comedic mysteries, right? This is a, mm-hmm. Called Engulfed. Um, so let's bring her to the stage, Miss Kathleen Cosgrove. sexed women. This is how my mother gave me the talk. (laughs) I'm telling you this because if you need some kind of birth control, I can take you to see a doctor. I remember that day in vivid detail, right down to the way the contents of my stomach tasted when they began spewing onto my tonsils. (laughs) She patted my hand. I choked back acid. She smiled maternally. I regretted eating pizza. (laughs) So, are you having sex with anyone right now? My very first ulcer. (laughs) It had only been two years since my friend, Sherry Norton, had used one of her father's girly magazines to illustrate, so to speak, just how humans went about reproducing themselves. Up till then, I thought babies came from God. While other girls were being felt up behind the bleachers, I was certain in the knowledge that babies were a gift from heaven when two people got married, just like Mary and Joseph, but without the farm animals. (laughs) My naivete and lack of curiosity were legendary. My siblings were never bored as I was a constant source of teasing fun. Hey, Kitty, try this great new candy. It's called X-Lax. Okay. (laughs) How was my mother not aware of what a late bloomer I was? That all my ideas of love and romance came from Archie comic books. The black-haired girls were not to be trusted, and boys with crown hats were not marriage material. (laughs) Sex ed studies completed. (laughs) Because, you know, your grandma Margaret, my mother continued, completely unaware of the blunt force trauma she was inflicting on me, was quite the party girl. That's why she left Friesland and moved to Amsterdam. She loved the nightlife, the men. She was a flapper, you know. Not Grandma Margaret, my brain screamed. She had a cookie jar shaped like a windmill. (laughs) She never even married my father. She couldn't. She was still married to my brother's father. (laughs) Ginger snaps. There were ginger snaps in the windmill cookie jar. (laughs) 
Then, after another couple of bad love affairs, she took a job on the Holland America line. She hid me in a berth, and we jumped ship in New York. We were illegals. We learned to stay under the radar. Okay, I said. I do remember when immigration came to our house. You had to go away for a while. Yes, a really nice Japanese man helped me out, she said. He really liked me. Really liked me. <laughs> Stomach contents are nasty and burn a lot. <laughs> Then there's your Grandma May, Mom was on a roll. She dated a lot after your grandfather died. Don't listen, I told myself. Grandma May was a saint. She took me to church. She took me to see Ben-Hur in Technicolor. And she had chiclets gum in her purse. <laughs> you know, my mother said, using her concerned face, she was very distraught when Johannes left her for that Pan Am stewardess. Oh, God, Uncle Johannes was Grandma May's shack up? She was shacking up with him? Why did I not put two and two? Well, I was only a kid then. Wait a minute. She had a hologram picture of Jesus in the living room. He was on the cross if you looked at it from one angle and off the cross and in heaven if you looked at it from the other. Get out of here. She was shacking up with Uncle Johannes and Jesus was right there. <laughs> on and off the cross. Yeah. I don't think she had any more boyfriends after that, said my mother. Well, not serious ones anyway. What was she saying now? That after the Norwegian ran off with the sky slut, Grandma May just went around having casual sex? Was she bringing men home right in front of Jesus on and off the cross? Did they do it on the same sofa I used to sleep on when I stayed there? Maybe when they were done, they would lay there panting and chewing chiclets gum. <laughs> I was never getting rid of those images. There really wasn't any reliable birth control, of course, so we all had to have our abortions in Cuba. That's why I want to make sure you take advantage of the pill. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Nothing in my life was ever going to be good again, nothing, because sweet old grandmas were not real no matter how many ginger snaps or Jesus on and off the cross pictures they had. I was never going to trust any of them. They were bad women doing bad things where they were just pretending to be nice and good. They were illegal alien, abortion-getting, shacking up wolves in sheep's nightdresses. <laughs> Mom, I'm really not having sex with anyone. I don't need to be on the pill. She looks so disappointed. <laughs> I was breaking the long line of oversexed women in our family by still being a virgin at 16. You know, your father and I had to get married. <laughs> It was that one time when we had been to Coney Island, we had a few drinks. Wait! Mom! I'm sorry, I lied to you. I am having sexual intercourse, and I would like some pills for that, please. <laughs> I had a feeling, she said, grinning. I never saw her so proud of me. 
we got the pills and I pretended to take them, pretended I had a boyfriend, pretended to have sex. Pretend sex, I would learn later on, is a fairly normal part of married life. <laughs> My grandmothers had already gone off to join Jesus in that big hologram in the sky years before the talk. And I was glad, glad because I wouldn't have to relate to them on that new level. But now, now I would give anything to have woman-to-woman -woman talks with them because, oh, how your perspective changes when you have a few decades of experience to lighten you. Today, I think of Grandma May and Grandma Margaret as smart, loving women who admittedly made some mistakes, but they were navigating life and love and citizenship during a time when everything was stacked against them. They were tough and strong and demanded better for themselves. They wanted to be happy and feel love and find relevance. They were daring, exciting women way ahead of their time, and I am so proud to have their blood in my veins. By the way, I am a grandma now with my own cookie jar. Am I dating, <laughs> going to parties, sometimes doing things I ought not? Of course, because I come from a long line of perfectly normal, healthy women. Just please, no one tell the grandkids. <laughs> Kathleen Cosgrove. That is so cool. I mean, I mean, you got to think now that that's pretty cool that your mom would have that conversation with you because that. I mean, there are so many women out there who moms would never, especially in the South, you never have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, you didn't grow up in the South. Well, South Florida. South Florida doesn't count as the South. Oh, come on, really? It's, it's not. I didn't know that. Um, what do I have in my notes here? That Jesus hologram thing, that kills me. Last month, Lily had a story, and she, she talked about hooking up with a guy with a lava lamp. And all I can think of is, like, how that would have been the perfect combination to have a lava lamp and a Jesus hologram. Like, <laughs> like do you know if they still make those? Because I'm kind of interested in seeing it. Look on eBay. Look on eBay? Oh, my gosh. Jesus on the cross and then in heaven. That's perfect. Um, well, uh, <laughs> we're really excited because for the first time in two years, next month is our two-year anniversary in Nashville, by the way, so we're very excited. Congratulations to Melanie. And we have a very special show next month. Uh, it'll be titled Anniversaries. So if you have an anniversary of anything that you want to write about, please submit. We are looking. It could be an anniversary of your wedding, of your hysterectomy, of, I mean... Really anything. Um, we're just looking for stories on anniversaries. Um, but we're really excited because we have the scene in the house tonight. The Nashville scene is here represented by the editor, one of the editors, Miss Abby White. Um, she's also an editor for In Focus and contributes to The Post, right? And she, she heads up a column in the scene right now called The Vodka Yannick. It's a, a women's column, women's stories. And so we we're so excited to get her here because she does basically what we do, but in the magazine. And she has, she has some great pieces in there about, uh, let's see, Benoit balls, which I don't know if you know what those are. I didn't, but it's something. But apparently it's something you do to, with Kegel exercises to strengthen your vagina, your, your Kegel. I don't, I don't know. And then she also has another one about uh, penis pictures and texting. Oh, my God. 
I think Loveless Cafe met its match there for biscuits. That would be amazing. Real vagina-made biscuits. The show is going downhill fast. So let me hand it over to Miss Abby White. Uh, welcome her to the stage. I'm flustered right now. Thank you, Abby. big vaginas and biscuits, but um, I will try. Okay, so this story actually kind of originally ran in the scene in the Valentine's issue. It's a nice little romantic story. So um, this is a, the slightly expanded version. So. I've done some crazy things in the name of love. I've been involved in incidents that ended in broken bones, Fires, appendages bursting through walls, poison ivy in very intimate places, and nights in jail. I've had accidental threesomes. You know the kind where you think that everyone is joking around until they're not. I've even dated brothers at the same time, which is really fun until the one who doesn't know about it finds out. But there is one thing that is so much crazier than all of those things combined that I'm even embarrassed to admit it. I think I might have manufactured an entire love affair in my head and then believed in it for almost a decade. When I first met him, I didn't know much about him other than that I loved his music. And meeting handsome men whose music you like is really just a hazard of dating in Nashville. I'd been down that road before. But when we shook hands, I froze, immobilized by some kind of electric current. Our eyes locked, mine clouded by whiskey, and his, the color of the sea where it indiscernibly vanishes into the sky on a rainy day. I know. <laughs> I was instantly smitten, like a cartoon character whose eyeballs turn into tiny hearts boinging out of her head. Ridiculous. A minor fling ensued, and though we rarely saw each other, I just couldn't shake the thought of him. I knew I should have filed him away in that part of your brain that houses memories of sweet high school boyfriends or childhood crushes, because that's where he belonged. But instead, he somehow mutated into something different, something significant. I still don't understand exactly how it happened, even though I was the architect of this delusion. He became my perfect storm of a man, simultaneously the prince on the white horse and the lecherous villain. He was distant, like the father I adored but never really understood. He was enigmatic, an artist who existed outside the boundaries of normal people, like a god. And I never understood God either. He was unattainable because he was already married. And surely I was nothing more to him than a blip on the radar a stop on the map. I felt ridiculous for feeling anything at all. So I went on with my life. I found the polar opposite of him, a seemingly nice, normal, unmarried, church-going man who liked to drink beer and watch football. You know, the type of guy that nice girls marry. I still had a chance to be a nice girl, right? So when that man proposed, I said yes. But I never stopped thinking about him. So, years later, when he reappeared before the ink on my divorce papers was dry, I guess I wasn't a nice girl after all, um, I was mystified. 
was it possible that he felt something? Maybe this was different, and maybe it was real. I now had the chance to find out. It had been years since we'd seen each other, but the gravitational pull was the same. I might not have known what else was real, but the chemistry certainly was. I couldn't get enough of him. But, but I was now older and theoretically wiser, but what did I know about love? I didn't even love the man I'd married. I only knew what love looked like in my head. Ever the architect of my own psyche, I started to construct what I thought a life with him would be like. It looked magnificent, exciting. I wanted more. But I tried to be realistic. The more we saw each other, the more determined I was not to put my life on hold in any way. He was still married, and like all those fairy tale princes, he lived far, far away. And I knew those things were not likely to change. But our relationship, our fair, it existed outside the boundaries, and the line between fantasy and reality blurred until it indiscernibly vanished. And then I started to put my real life on pause. If I had the opportunity to see him, I'd cancel plans with friends or I'd blow off work. I drove hours to be by his side at his birthday dinner, surrounded by his friends, because he asked me to. I rearranged my schedule so we could stay together for a week at a music festival, where I met his son. If he wanted me to be there, I'd find a way to be there. I may have constructed this fantasy, but he fed it, and it was intoxicating. But, as happens with any intoxication, the toxicity, it eventually got to be too much. I tried to date other men, but they were boring in comparison. I'd grow listless if I didn't hear from him. I started to suspect that I was little more than an accessory, like a birthday hat, and that his interest in me was only when it benefited him. While I knew and admired his work, I would have been shocked if he'd ever read anything I'd written. Because he already had a real life. But did I factor into it at all? I already knew the answer. I was not a factor in his equation. I was less than what he already had. Because most affairs are pretend relationships anyway, and the artificiality will eventually reveal itself. As we learned in La Dolce Vita, there's a big difference between what life is and what it could be. That and partying until the end of the world is just sad. This party was over. I knew what I had to do. So I stood, slightly dazed, in the sun-drenched hotel lobby while he settled the bill. The sun cruelly stung my eyes, but I was determined not to cry. I'm not a pretty crier, and that could not be the way that he remembered me. The goodbye was brief, the car was waiting outside for him. We embraced the way you do when you've had a massive argument, when you're a little afraid to touch each other, but something instinctively pulls you together. The kind of embrace that you hold a little too long because you both know this is the last time. I could hardly look into those eyes, but I did. I think they looked sad. Maybe he was just tired or hungover, but, but I wanted him to be as sad as I was. Grabbing the back of his neck, I pulled him toward me and I furiously kissed him, paying no attention to the swarm of people around us. That would be how he remembered me. Not the mess of a human from the night before, the one in a vodka-induced haze who stomped out of the bar and told him to never contact her again and to forget her name. We reluctantly let go of each other, and he turned and walked out of the hotel. 
That's when I stopped watching. I already knew where he was going, to the airport, where he would get on a plane that would take him back to his family. The same place he always went. And I was determined not to go to the same place that I always went. That part of my mind that would believe that maybe someday he might choose me. That place where I let myself believe that lie. A lie I told myself. Catching someone you love in a lie is bad, and catching yourself in a lie is even worse. I had lied to myself for too long, and to come clean, I had to say goodbye, so I did. At least, I think I did. Unlike an actual breakup in which I just go get a new haircut or lose 10 pounds, this may take a lobotomy or some kind of sorcery or green witchcraft to truly erase him from my mind. But the reality is, and I think I can once again recognize reality, um, if he showed up today, that lecherous prince, I'm not entirely sure I wouldn't jump on that horse and ride off with him. Into the fairy tale sunset, maybe, or toward that line where the sea disappears into the sky. Accidental threesome. Yeah, don't talk about that. Sounds a great. That's a great band name. Really? That was actually the name the, of the band. It is actually the name of the band. That was the name of the band. The one that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm not a comedy writer. <laughs> and here we have accidental threesome. Like that's just like, just rolls off the tongue. <clears throat> Very good job. That was a powerful piece. Sorry to be the downer. No. <laughs> That was great. And is that the issue that it came in? It We're, is. Uh, yeah. let's, let's hold this up real quick. Love is weird, it says. <laughs> that it is. Next, last but not least, is our fearless leader, Miss Melanie Bear. She came from L.A., comedian extraordinaire. You can see her on YouTube, and you can see her on Comedy Central, and you can see her on Facebook with her baby, Simone, who makes... Uh, she makes the like. I don't. She loves that face. What? It, she does this thing where she. Every time I see her, she's. And I told Melanie that she needs to stop breastfeeding her because I think she's stuck. <laughs> she's gonna kill me for that. Love you. Anyways, let's bring her to stage, Miss Melanie Fair. Catch on fire. Sparks. Okay, so this is a little different than being a new mom, um, <laughs> this story. It's titled, Hosted Bar. Okay. <laughs> when I slipped into my floral A-line dress for the wedding, I never imagined the night would unfold quite like it did. Trace, retracing my steps, I believe my first misstep was the assumption that a hosted bar was limited to the cocktail hour. My decision to slam back as many drinks as possible in 60 minutes <laughs> was terribly thrown off when I discovered the free alcohol continued throughout the evening. 
it was between the 16th and 22nd drink when things really went off course. My former San Diego State classmates and I thought it would be wise to continue binge drinking down on Garnett Avenue, the strip of beach bars we used to frequent. Upon arriving at our old haunt, I promptly wandered off from my friends with some guy I'd met at the wedding. Stumbling and slurring about in front of the tavern bar and grill, the bouncer declared I was too drunk to enter the establishment. I disagreed with his assessment of my condition. And so I started trying to sneak in. He swiftly caught me and kicked me out. After my second or 12 attempt, he finally warned, Miss, if you don't leave, I'm going to call the police. But I continued to stumble around a bit more. Miss, do you want me to call the cops? I thought about it. How exciting. Yes, call them. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it, but just then a patrolling officer happened to be driving by. He moseyed over and repeated the bouncer's line of questioning. Miss, do you want me to take you to the station? Yes, I repeated. <laughs> Are you sure he tempted? Yep. <laughs> the officer sighed, slowly cuffed me, and led me to his patrol car. My partner in crime, the guy from the wedding, offered a weak plea for my freedom, which was promptly ignored. Eager to see the inside of my very first cop car, I hopped into the back seat. Expecting to fill a plush interior under my derriere, I was surprised when I bounced up and hit my head. Ow, I cried. Who stole the cushions? Never had any, the officer goffed. That way, when drunks like you puke up your brains, we can just hose it out. Oh, I said, taking no offense. <laughs> Sitting behind my first set of bars, my fascination with spending time in the slammer was quickly starting to fade. Maybe this wasn't an experience for the bucket list after all. I decided it was time to lay on the charm. I leaned up against the bars and whispered, okay, I was just kidding. I don't want to go to the station. How about we just pretend you're a cab and you drop me off at my friend's house? No hard feelings. The officer said nothing and continued to the precinct. My charge for drunk and disorderly was a pretty fair assessment of my evening on the whole. Upon arriving at the police station, I was handed off to a guard who led me down a hall to, the, to a back area where a big blue mat covered most of the floor space. Now just lay down here and sleep it off, the female guard ordered. I probably would have done as I was told had I not been at my peak drunkenness and had the blue mat not reminded me of my days in elementary school gymnastics. <laughs> Instead of resting, I began doing cartwheels, handstands, and part of an old competition routine. <laughs> the guard didn't seem impressed by, by my athleticism and would have happily ignored my antics had I not leapt when the phone rang and answered, Jail? How may I direct your call? <laughs> I was then transferred to the women's jail. Send her to Santee, the guard barked to my arresting officer. 
Santee, I learned, is short for Las Colinas Detention Facility in Santee, California, the exclusive women's jail in San Diego County. The cuffs were slapped back on, and I was reunited with the cushionless back seat. Wait, where are you taking me? I cried. Wait, you can't do this to me. Don't you know who I am? I'm a nice girl from Orange County. That's like saying you're from Brentwood or something. <laughs> My fun drunk persona, which my f girlfriends dubbed Chichi, was wearing thin, meaning only one thing. My mean drunk personality, Helga, was on her way out. <laughs> Helga was the hell raising counterpart to Chichi's fun loving cartwheeling. Inside Santee, my dual, trunk per my dual drunk personalities fought for attention culminating in one alarming spectacle. The chaos started from the time I got booked and smiled in the mugshot because I wanted to show off my freshly bleached teeth and continued in the group holding cell where I began reliving all of my favorite prison movies. First, I did push-ups and dips, determined to get buff while serving time. Next, with my spoon, I tried to chisel my way out of there. And for my final performance, I took to the intercom between us and the guards. It was supposed to be reserved for emergencies, but I pushed the button incessantly, trying to order one orange jumpsuit and a side of fries. <laughs> After a few additional cartwheels, I started to get sleepy. This was surely the moment the guards had been waiting for. <laughs> I curled up on the floor of the jail cell in my preppy dress from the wedding and drifted off to sleep. When I woke up in the morning, okay, came to, I wasn't feeling quite as slap happy. In fact, I felt worse than the bride's father when he reviewed the bar tab. I felt even worse as the shame set in. I quickly discovered that everyone from the wedding heard about my detainment, including my best, my best friend's brother, a San Diego police officer. It was his face I saw when I opened my eyes on the dirty jail floor. Pulled away from his family in the wee hours of the morning, he said it took him longer than he anticipated to locate my, my whereabouts. Jeremy said, I'm impressed how deep you got inside the penal system. <laughs> In the following days and weeks, I was so embarrassed by my behavior that I sentenced myself, not to a 12-step program, but the next worst thing, to designated driver duty. I white-knuckled it out at bars with friends, waiting to get home to get drunk. <laughs> I've been there. Okay. After about six months, with a few slips requiring taxi backup, I let myself off probation. It was useless. Plus, it was almost New Year's Eve, the time of year when celebration most certainly should not be contained. New Year's Day, I woke up on another dirty floor. This time, it was the floor of neighbors I barely knew. As the events of the night before were laid out before me, I began to see an alarming trend. 
The pregnant couple from Unit B arrived home just after midnight and found me passed out on the apartment complex's front lawn. A taxi driver resorted to laying me there after an unsuccessful attempt to reach my parents. He had actually taken the time to scroll through my phone and select the contact labeled Dad. This was apparently after I got kicked out of the nightclub for hurling bottles at the bouncer. The gig was up. My window of clarity opened. I began having flashes. There were other signs that drinking alcoholic beverages was not really working for me. For starters, I'd come to know the DMV hours after regularly losing my driver's license in one drunken debacle after the next. Rachel knows. I also had moved away from dating shy, sweet college athletes named things like Sean and Trevor and started dating shady club promoters named Snowy. (laughs) Although most of the wine I drank came out of a box, I'd come to use the word connoisseur instead of alcoholic. It had more panache and less stigma. Panache? You, she wrote that word. I don't know what it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> She's my editor. If you guys need a good editor. <laughs> I'm from Orange County, sorry. <laughs> and, of course, I had not one but two drunk alter egos. So, it's been over 11 years now since I've taken advantage of an open bar or even had so much as a beer. I also gave up cheese, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to put that in. I like to imagine that Chi-Chi and Helga ran off together. I imagine receiving postcards from all the places they're wrecking havoc on. I imagine them saying I'm a pussy for not drinking as they try to tempt me back into their fold. Underneath, though, I sense they're extremely proud of the woman I've become. They know they couldn't offer me the self-esteem and integrity I've built. And they'd be the first to admit that if they hadn't exited my life, my gracious husband and precious daughter never could have entered it. Thank you. Melody Drunk Tank Extraordinaire. I love it. It's uh, it's funny this week. Melanie's story, Chi-Chi and Helga, it reminds me this week I uh, I love Jurassic Park and it, well, I'm not wearing it right now, but I usually, I've been wearing a Jurassic Park t-shirt for the past like week. Long story. Um, I love that movie. And someone posted one of those BuzzFeed quiz on my wall. I think it was my sister actually. It was which Jurassic Park character are you? And I don't know if you guys know the movie, but I got the annoying kid at the beginning of the movie who comes in and he's like, "That's not scary. It's just a big turkey." And now Grant's like, "No, actually, it'll tear you to shreds." So. But Melanie, Melanie took the test, and she got uh, the Dilophosaurus, which is the dinosaur that spits. Um, and it was great, because it was like, at moments, you're really cute, and at other moments, you're going to bite someone's head off. Like, that's exactly the Chi-Chi and Helga dynamic. It's you perfectly, to a T. I, I hate those quizzes, but that one was, like, friggin' spot on. My sister got the Dilophosaurus, too, and she's, she's very much that type of, like, Hi, fuck you! 
Anyways, guys, thanks so much for coming out tonight. We'll see you next month for anniversaries. Woo! Give it up for our readers. Yes. Thank you. Spread the word, they're funny, smart, and so absurd. Happens 